All right, so there's a war going on at Home Improvement right now. On one hand, you've got contractors like you who are, you know, listening to podcasts, you know, finding content, trying to better their business, grow their revenue, innovate their processes, give homeowners a better experience. And on the other hand, you've got chucking the trucks and imposters and Tony Ponytails that are undercutting you on price and doing whatever they can, shoddy work, whatever, to get I don't know, their next tattoo or their next gold chain. Now, again, you might not know this is happening and you might not care. You're running with your business, you're doing things, but these guys are putting a bad name in the industry right now and honestly ruining your livelihood. So I don't know if you had a chance to see this video. This is viral. I think it was even on like major news networks, but this is what everyone's talking about right now. A warning from a Colorado Springs woman tonight after contractors she hired smashed her bathroom shower that they had just remodeled. We put weeks into this, thousands of dollars into this. So are many of the tiles on the floor. The walls smashed, her sense of security destroyed, all by the contractor she hired to redo her bathroom. And if you're only listening to the audio of this, I'll explain it to you. So basically a contractor uh, entered a previous customer's house under false pretenses, saying they were gonna pick up their equipment, uh, took a sledgehammer to the bathroom they remodeled. You can find pictures of the work. It was terrible, terrible work. They had received a $3,000 down payment for the job. The job wasn't complete though. They were still waiting for a glass door for the shower to arrive. So whatever the point may be, homeowners don't know the difference between this guy, who's obviously a terrible, terrible representation of the industry, and you guys, legitimate contractors. Now what fascinates me most about this is two things. One, why this went viral. I guess I can understand everybody wants to be pissed off at something these days, but Two, why did the homeowner go with this contractor and not a more legitimate business? And we'll talk about price all day and they probably went the cheaper option, but why? Why didn't they get that value established up front from a legitimate home improvement company? Like you wouldn't go to a doctor for a procedure that's cheaper and you wouldn't go with the cheapest lawyer to get you out of a traffic ticket. So why would you go with the cheapest option for something that you're gonna be living with every single day, something that's supposed to improve your home and improve your quality of life? And the answer to that question and all of your sales process woes is in this podcast. No, I'm just joking, but uh, today's episode is solid gold. And I highly suggest you listen to the whole thing because there's a lot of stuff in here about making your home improvement team the elephant amongst penguins, which is a terrific concept that my guest Adam McKay, who's the chief communication officer over Layer Homes, talks about. He coaches the sales and marketing processes over there. They do multi-million dollar projects, so home building and home models. He just has a fantastic approach to sales and marketing. And we do talk about, you know, translating those high level concepts from multi-million dollar projects to those projects in the thousands. So there's a lot of value in this for anybody that wants to really stand out amongst the crowd in their market. So be sure to stay tuned. This episode is fantastic. Again, my guest is Adam McKay, who is the chief communication officer over to Layer Homes. This is a podcast for home improvement and home services marketing. This is Built By. But you've got to be adaptable. You've got to find a way to accommodate an uncomfortable customer. If you're not getting the home advisor leads in the first five minutes, you shouldn't even do it. Hopefully we're eating their lunch while they're trying to get back up and running. Adam, so listeners can get kind of a... Uh, a background and learn a little bit more about you know, your experience in home improvement, home remodeling, and your experience in sales. Can you give kind of a high-level overview of, of your background and experience? Yeah, so background, um, I've been a coach um, and a consultant for a long time. I've been a serial entrepreneur, owned a lot of businesses and scaled them up. And uh, at one point, uh, which I'll get into in a minute, I, I ended up kind of building an ad agency. And mm through my ad agency, um, kind of sought after as a coach. And through coaching, started to maybe get the keys of many of the businesses and drive a little bit more and played the consultant role. And that led to many other things, which landed me here at Allaire. So uh, we'll get into some of the details, but that's a little bit of the, the brief background, Matt. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, you mentioned to me you'd been sales for your whole career. And we were literally just talking about this really awesome beginning to your sales career. Can you can you dive into that? Give a little more, you know, uh, insight into that. Yeah. So just for 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 people that know, so you know, my 
I, I handle all the sales and marketing for a layer. And so just for, for people out there wondering, like, what does that mean? What do you do? So that I handle the market development, the public relations and communications, the marketing, and then of course our B2C sales, which is in our case at a layers renovations and custom homes. And um, I still get the, the opportunity every day to work with our partners who are on the front lines of selling renovations and custom homes. And I've been able to bring uh, you know, 25 years of experience to help them. And it's, it's so cool. It's, it's probably one of the cool part of my jobs. It sounds like I have a lot of responsibility, which I do, but I have a great team around me. So I, I wanted to shout out to my team who might be listening out there. But, um, you know, I, I got into sales a uh, really young age, Matt. My dad was a regional and national sales manager. So I kind of grew up in a as a mentor who was already in sales. And I was really intrigued by the psychology of sales. Um, and so when I got out of college, uh, my dad had given me uh, basically uh, an invitation to go buy whatever I wanted in the pro shop. So keep in mind, I was a very competitive golfer as a junior. I was very determined to, to go pro for most of my uh, late years in high school and into college. I, I kind of really got into it. And uh, my dad said, hey, go buy whatever you want. So I went in there and I, I must have spent $3,000. This is back in like 1997. So that was very expensive. <laughs> and um and uh, I had been working a job that I really hated, uh, driving 90 minutes to work every day. And that job got old. Uh, but I so appreciated the gift my dad gave me for graduating college. And it come, came a time where I was looking for a gift, uh, a special gift um, for my dad for Father's Day. And I took the day off work and I thought, you know, what would my dad really want? He'd love to play in a father-son golf tournament. And... Uh, so I thought, well, hey, let me just go find one, right? Well, this is pre-internet days, right? We're talking 1997, which shows my age. And there are no ways to find phone numbers. You have yellow pages, but it's difficult to find the phone numbers of the golf courses. And golf was booming at the time. So there was more golfs being built around the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C., Maryland area where I grew up. And all of a sudden, I had this idea. I can't be the only one looking for phone numbers for golf courses. How could there not be a directory? Um, so pretty quickly, I had an idea. Keep in mind, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be in golf. And if there was any chance of me turning pro, I would need some vehicle like a sponsor or a business to get there. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad came home that night. It took me all day to put this into perspective to find a father-son golf tournament. That's how many phone calls. My dad mm -hmm. came home and he said, hey, man, how's your day off? I said, pretty good. I got the good news and the bad news. Well, you know, give me the, give me the bad news first, I guess. Well, <laughs> bad news, I quit my job. What? You quit your job? Uh, yep. What's the good news? Well, I'm starting a golf magazine that has a directory in it. Really? What do you know about golf magazines? Nothing. But I know that I'm not the only one that wants local information. And if you're a golfer, while there's national magazines out there, we don't really care if we live in Virginia about the tip from the pro in Utah or how to go play the golf course in California or another country for that matter. So I knew I was onto something. And Along the way, did some research and uh, didn't have any investors, but I just believed so much that this idea was out there. So my dad said, well, hey, you know, you can stay here with me. I'll put you up. I can't invest in it, but good luck. You're going to have to pre-sell it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but good luck. So I went out and started selling advertising of a product that didn't exist for the name for anybody that's from Virginia. It was called Pros and Hackers. It was the name of the, the company and the business. And I went out and tried to start selling. So I went to the low-hanging fruit first. Um, long story short, I'm trying to sell something and get them to buy an advertisement and something that doesn't exist. And I need them to prepay me for the advertisement before it comes out. So you can imagine it was a tough sale. So I went over the course of about two months to appointments every day, worked on my game, trained with my dad. I got 131 no's in a row. Devastating. Your dream was not going to come true. And one day sat down, basically cried my eyes out on the couch to my dad and said, man, I gave it my all. I can't do anymore. He's like, all right, well, why don't you go out and check the mail, take a break, maybe go back to doing something else. But I'm proud of you. Went out, got a letter, opened it up to me. It was from the fifth person I had met. And he said, hey, Adam, really cool what you're going to build at Pros and Hackers. I bet it's really challenging for you to get people to believe into it. I as a business, couldn't buy into you because my partners just wouldn't take that kind of risk. But somebody mm -hmm. believed in me. Here's a check for $5,000. Give me the two full page ads in that magazine. Changed my life, Matt. I took that mm -hmm. 
changed everything about my confidence, went out and ultimately sold $50,000 worth of advertising in advance. And the magazine took off. It spun off into a radio show, a website, a newsletter, events, a handicap system. And it really was a lot of fun. I had a chance to do my passion and grow these businesses. And I learned a lot through that because we were so much involved in design and media, launched our own advertising agency and ultimately a video production company. And through that, I automatically had people reaching out to me for coaching. Um, and so that's how I got into sales, believe it or not. 131 no's, I'll never forget it. It was really tough, <laughs> but it taught me a lot uh, about yeah. myself and, and about sales. So a little that's incredible. There. Yeah, no, that that 131 no's. So you learn the the pain of cold calling early on and overcoming. But that's awesome. Like you built a, a media empire. You you built one of the original, like you see like Barstool Sports now. Like yeah. that that's awesome. You building that locally off of that that just just striving and, and getting through that. But you know, it's 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 awesome because you also mentioned, you know, after this this time, you had been uh, I guess recruited by uh, Tony Robbins and and Chet Holmes and yep. their their business breakthrough series. Yeah, and I you said that to me and I I was I had to do a double take and I was like, what the Tony Robbins and the Chet Holmes? <laughs> That's awesome. So I want to zoom in there a little bit. I, I would love to hear what was it like, you know, working behind the scenes with them. Um, I, to put it frankly, it was incredibly humbling. <laughs> I mean. When I got recruited uh, to work at Business Breakthrough, this is a Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes company that was really a coaching and consulting company. Um, you know, I, as you just mentioned, I mean, I had built and scaled a pretty successful business. I mean, really, to be fair, seven businesses out of that that spun out and included my consulting business. So I, I'd helped a lot of clients create some substantial growth, not every one of them, but quite a few. We had some home runs. And so, you know, I showed up there at the time with, with quite a bit of experience and a pretty solid track record. And that's when I realized, holy cow, all these people have tremendous experience. They have tremendous expertise and knowledge. And I need to sit down, not stick out my chest and learn. And so I changed my attitude quickly. But to put that in perspective, I was required, mandatory to attend strategic sales training for two hours per day six days a week for an entire year, 700 hours of intense sales training and role-playing designed to master consultative sales. Some of that was personally with Chet Holmes, which was incredibly rewarding. So I had to work my way up. Even though I came in with experience and a good track record, I had to work my way up if I wanted a chance to train other businesses in consultative sales and get to businesses that were doing 10 million in revenue or above. So I had to really put in the work um, but one of the highlights was um, at the time, Chet Holmes had helped Tony Robbins form an event now that's huge called Business Mastery. It's an event that Tony didn't have as he had a lot of personal events with Date with Destiny and the programs that most are probably familiar with. And so I had a chance to, to be on the team at the time when we launched that. So I got to go to these events, be around those people that arguably some of the most influential business growth experts in the world and that was an incredible opportunity. Uh, totally changed my life, to be fair. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And 700 hours of sales training. I can imagine that helped shape your entire philosophy on sales. Can you give just kind of a, a you know a high level overview of of what what is your approach to sales, and you know what what is it that you're teaching when when you have these consultative approaches? So my philosophy around sales, Matt, it, it, it's pretty simple. It's Nobody wants to be sold. Not you, not me, not anybody listening out there. No real human being wants to be sold. And so learning to sell in, in let's say, the traditional way isn't really going to be nearly as effective for you or your business as learning to teach people how to buy. So it starts with just rethinking actually what it is we're trying to accomplish. And so if there's one thing I learned from, from Chet Holmes is that education-based marketing and selling works in every industry. Doesn't matter what you're selling, who you're selling to, um, but you gotta master that education. You gotta realize you're not selling and trying to close somebody, you're trying to teach somebody how to buy. So in order to teach people how to buy, you gotta understand how to set, and you usually reset uh, the client's buying criteria. What are they using as to what they're gonna buy from? And so 
when that buying criteria is is shifted in your favor, they're likely going to choose to buy from you because the criteria matches exactly what they're looking for. So it's a consultative approach that when they see your solution as their idea um, and it's the smartest, and most effective way to move forward, they're going to choose you. So in that, though, just to give me a little more specifics for, for the listeners is mm-hmm. I teach kind of like a four part fundamental uh, approach to sales. And it's, it's super basic. is isn't a process, but fundamentally kind of the four pillars. And the first is you got to have an alignment of status. Whoever you're going to reach out to, those prospective clients need to believe that you can protect their status. So the higher end the investment, the more alignment of status is needed. And for them, they have to respect you. They ultimately have to see you as the expert in solving the problem they currently have. So you have to have that in some way, shape, or form as you get dive in to work with these prospective clients. Then you got to have authenticity. People need to experience the real you. They have to get the best version of yourself. Um, And you have to be able to consistently build that level of respect and trust you need. And if you're not authentic, it's very difficult to do it consistently. Mm -hmm. And then the next two are empathy and logic. Just to touch on empathy real quick is people have to believe that, you know, you care about them and their success. So you have to be able to walk in your prospective client's shoes. You got to see their point of view and understand their situation and try to appreciate their vision, even if you disagree with it. And empathy plays a huge role. And then logic, which is kind of straightforward. You know, people need to know that you can do it. If you're their contractor, they need to know that your reasoning and judgment to solve their problem or situation is sound. And so what we found is those four pillars, really, it all boils down to trust, Matt. If, yeah. if you do not wobble in those four fundamental areas, you're going to have way more success. However, if you wobble in any one of those areas of the alignment of status, of authenticity, empathy, or logic, you're dramatically decreasing your odds of winning the opportunities that you want to win. So that's it's kind of the foundation of some of the stuff that I teach and we teach over here at Alaire. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, your first exposure really to construction and remodeling with, with this sales, um, I guess, philosophy didn't come until uh, you worked with a company called Homex, um, which was, you know, very large home builder. They became a client of business breakthroughs. What was that shift in strategy that you guys helped Homex implement that had, I guess, direct impact on their growth? Was it that sales philosophy? It played a big role. Kind of have to, have to tell little stories. So at the time, Homex was one of the biggest home builders in the world, and they were struggling to grow against their competitors. Um, so Homex was based in Mexico. I think they've expanded into Brazil and much bigger areas now. This is 10 years ago or more. Um, and Homex offered what I think we would refer to as like government subsidized housing. So they're a home builder, but there was programs where the government could get involved, like, like there are in many countries. But their biggest challenge was growing sales. And simply what we found out is they just have not enough leads. Imagine that. Um, so as we did more research, we came to the conclusion that, th- that their target audience really didn't actually believe in owning a home. Hmm. And that was a fundamental wow for me. Like, wow, that's really interesting. That's what's driving the lack of lead flow. So these people really culturally just rented and never really considered buying a home for themselves. So in order to increase the lead flow, Um, we would have to change their target audience's mind, get them to believe that owning a home um, is way better than renting a home long before you'd consider who the home builder might be. Mm -hmm. And so we did a lot of research, compiled a mass amount of really compelling market data. I don't, I don't remember exactly because it's been a while, the exact market data, but just to give you an idea of the, of the type of data that would move you, move me, move, move anybody listening. Right. It's, it was like, you know, People who rent, um, they don't live as long or as healthy as people that own. And, and But super specific details. Like there was like children who grow up in a rented home are five times more likely to graduate from a university. You know, people who rent a home are three times more likely to file bankruptcy. I mean, just powerful data that was factual. And those real facts from credible sources created a lot of influence. And, and ultimately, it changed people's minds from should I even consider buying a home to continue to just rent a home? And so we took all of that research and all of that market data um, and we built a very, very successful marketing campaign. And it, it literally almost overnight, like changed the lead flow by more than 10 X. 
So all these leads were coming in. We had to train salespeople who's in another language. Uh, fortunately, I speak fluent Spanish. Uh, that was helpful. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this was the start of Homex really creating some exponential growth. So the, the major takeaway there, and this happened for multiple clients, and this is a Chet Holmes thing. If you ever read the book, uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine, I got it right down there. It's, it's that market data is way more powerful than product data. That's what changes our opinion. That's what influences us. So it was, it, was an, it was an awesome opportunity to watch that and see a company grow that fast, but it all boiled down to market data. Yeah, that's incredible. You you literally changed a market sentiment by exposing things that they didn't know. It's, it's right. incredible the, the power that has. And, you know, I, I'm seeing it now a lot on LinkedIn and it, it's like, it, it's like a, revolution i guess when it comes to like what people think of marketing and it happens every three or four years it's the same thing with sales and marketing and everybody talks about it and then things change somebody comes in with a new approach that that's awesome man and you know coming into a layer with that experience at homex and now you had married that sales philosophy and taking that market data and um kind of putting it all into home remodeling and construction you know, bringing that experience in, being a consultant for small and medium businesses on the side, you started helping companies grow, fastest growing companies, Inc. 500 list. And I believe, you know, Allaire has grown at like 20X since you joined. Um, I think you joined in 2014. Yep. You know, coming into Allaire eight years ago, it was like a clean slate, a, a clean slate, I imagine. You know, so how did you really lay down that foundation to be um, scalable that, that, that I guess the marketing and sales side. Great question. That was what an opportunity, you know, we, we knew what Allaire was doing and the, the fact that this industry had not franchised residential construction was fascinating to me and my partner, Rob Cecil, who's now the president. Uh, he too came from Chet Holmes and Tony Robbins. Um, and it was just fascinating to us that this hadn't been done. You see it in fire and rescue and so many other uh, things in in close to our industry, but it hadn't done. And so this ability that you could do things together versus doing things on your own was just fascinating. We couldn't believe that it hadn't been done. So, you know, at the core was culture has to come first. It, it has to. And we knew we had to get like-minded people with similar values and similar goals. And we decided that we were going to be very, very strict about the type of contractors, both custom home builders or models that were going to be part of a lair. That was fundamental. And then mm -hmm. the second place or piece I would mention is that we recognize that most people um, being our, our prospective clients, they don't really know how to buy a renovation or a custom home. You know, mm -hmm. they at best maybe done it a handful of times and that would likely be an investor. And so we needed to become great educators. If a layer was going to scale to the size it is or where we're going over the next five to 10 years, we have to become master educators. We've got to be consultative and we're going to have to learn how to empower people to make smart decisions, even if that means you don't work with a layer. So those culture and getting the right people and the right values and making sure we can become educators was paramount. And it's still fundamental to this day. That's incredible. You know, is that consultative approach to sales? Um, you know, is 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 that really what kind of changed the trajectory for you guys? I think it made a massive impact. You know, but it's it's when really when when you as the salesperson are become seen as the expert in the problem that your prospective client has, it's a game changer. You know, they they have to believe you have solved their exact same problem or situation hundreds of times before. It's easy for you. This is what I do. And not in a cocky or overselling way, just as a matter of fact way. And you can provide examples. So you got to want your clients to see you as kind of, you know, their personal trusted advisor. You're looking out for their best interests. You know where they are, you know where they're going, and you know how to get them there. And you've done it before. So part of the role you play in, in consultative sales is you got to sometimes learn to tell people what they need to hear versus what they want to hear. And that's hard. That's, that's hard for a lot of us, especially when you have empathy and you, and you care about people, but you got to do the right thing. And the right thing is sometimes difficult. So 
you know, in our industry, as you know, Matt, and many of the listeners out there, you got to communicate the risk because there's a lot of them. And, mm-hmm. and and most people don't know them. So you got to point out the mistakes and provide some solutions and, and validate how they can solve it and what their options are. So ultimately, they choose the best option that's for them, even if that means that's not for you. Interesting. And, you know, you mentioned a phrase the other day that that kind of that struck me, which was, you know, you said some homeowners are committed to remodeling their home and some are only interested. What What is that difference and, and why is that important? Yeah, that's that's a powerful thing just in life, you know, um, yeah. but certainly in our industry, all of us wake up every day and there's things we're interested in and things we're committed to. And it's pretty straightforward. But those um, who are only interested are likely going to find uh, reasons or excuses as to why they don't move forward, maybe with the remodeling of their own. Um, and so they're going to bring tons of stalls or objections um, they're going to kick tires it, at the end of the day, just to be blunt, they're going to waste their time. And, and if we don't know that we're in trouble. So the difference though, Matt is, is those who are totally committed to their project, to the outcome, to the result are going to find every way possible to achieve it. And they're not going to make excuses and they're not going to waste your time. And you've got to find a way to pick and choose your clients. And that has to be communicated. If they're picking their contractor you haven't flipped the leverage and it's going to be difficult to scale your business. Not easy, um, but you can do it. That's crazy. The The communication is is the biggest thing that, and we, I, I've talked to, to multiple, you know, home improvement companies about like the communication aspect. And especially right now, there's so many leads. Business is good. If you're in like home remodeling, you're making money right now, but the part, the problem with that is that communication piece often falls through because you get so many leads, you can't follow up with them all. That's right. How, is there? Do you have any like ideas around that? You know, any any philosophies around that? I do. I mean, I think I think the exercise I, I would want everybody to do, no matter whether you're a handyman or building the highest end custom projects you know, on the planet, is really identify who your ideal target is. You need to map that out. You need to know that they're this age, that they're, they want these things. You, you want to build an avatar that almost seems real. Actually, it might make people laugh to hear this, but, but at Allaire, every one of our offices, and now there's over 100 across North America, they all have an ideal client specific to their market, specific to what they build best. And many times, they actually have names of a couple. It's made up. It's fictitious, but it's an avatar. You've got to figure out who your perfect client is to figure out if they're the right fit and match. If they're not, you can't waste time on trying to make somebody be the client that they're not. Because at the end of the day, if you're not building Raven fans, you're going to have to keep putting money into marketing as opposed to building much more of a referral-based business, which is when I have to go down that road, that's a whole other podcast. But that's <laughs> something I preach and, and believe strongly in. You know, If we could be more profitable, a little more lean and mean, we wouldn't have to invest so much money to generate all leads, and we only generate the type of people that are already the right fit and match. I agree a thousand percent with that mentality. That's a, that's exactly what I think, and I've seen a lot of companies doing this. And that's not like canvassing, and that's not like just cold calling houses. It's finding out you know what neighborhoods, what zip codes work best, and then you know going and giving them what they want. It's interesting. Right. And, you know, you, you said the phrase the other day. It's important to be elephants among penguins yeah. and it's, it's stuck with me because obviously <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a great quote. And you know, when I think of a layer in the market, like a layer is an elephant and I, I get that vibe from, from what you guys do. Can you explain a little bit to the listeners, like wh- what that is, what that concept is and you know, how can they be more of that elephant versus that penguin in the market? Yeah, that's a good question. It, you know, I, I, I came up with this um, back in 2014 because, you know, although I had a little bit of experience watching business breakthroughs grow this home builder home X, I hadn't, even though I'd actually worked in over a hundred different industries over that time, I hadn't specifically worked with a remodeler or home builder other than home X. And so when I took a landscape, just imagine looking down on the entire industry, which is massive, as you know, yes. is you know, the, the reputation almost is that all contractors are, are like commodities. I mean, commodities, like in the simple form of like, you know, rice, bananas, like that's how they're seen. And, and it's frustrating. I know everybody listening is like, yeah, we've, we, we've, we have that somewhat reputation sometimes. And so from that point of view, um, you know, like they're all the same. 
the, the only difference between them is maybe the price. And that's that's very difficult for, for anybody to thrive in. So if you've ever seen a picture, uh, and I'm sure you have, of a thousand penguins, they're all together, they're out on a rock formation near the water in some place cold likely, and they literally look exactly the same. I, mean, I don't think the average person can't speak for you or others, but for me, I couldn't tell one penguin apart. And they're black and white, they look the same, they wobble. Um, so if your prospective client sees you as a penguin, you're just like everybody else, um, you need to find a way to imagine an elephant amongst those thousands of penguins. Imagine just the visual of how different that is. That's your job. You need to stand out from the crowd. You can't be seen as a commodity contractor. You're just, you're not going to win the game. It's going to be hard work. You're not going to scale. And every day it's going to be a grind versus when you can position yourself as the elephant um, or you will be positioned as a penguin. And that's a, that's a crossroad you got to meet. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's easy. It takes a lot of skill. But if you're seen as the penguin, you're going to have an uphill battle versus position yourself as an elephant amongst the penguins. And we don't need to go into all the details of that. There's a lot of ways to do that. But you got to become the expert. You got to separate yourself. And when you do, you can win the opportunities you want to win. I'll use a basketball term. If you do it really well, you'll be able to cherry pick. Mm. Not saying it's easy. But if you work at it, it can happen. That's awesome. And I guess just, just to highlight, is this, this, I'm assuming is something that goes throughout the entire organization. It's not just your marketing and your sales. It's, it's when the people, you know, your, your contractors come on site to actually do the job and they're, they're keeping up that integrity of the brand. And is is it, is it that full encompassing organizational approach to being an elephant? I think so. You know, it's, it's hard to pass that outside of you and your organization. So if you're like a lair where you're using a lot of sub trades and these people aren't actually employed by you, you're mm-hmm. trying to carry for that mentality. But it all starts at the top, as you know, Matt. I mean, if it starts from the top down, if the owners, the salespeople, the project managers, the supers, whoever, if all these people are buyed into that culture, if they know what their role is, they all agree they don't want to be seen as a commodity, it'll start to be contagious to the trades. And when it's not, you have to change those trades. I mean, it really boils down to how do you want to be positioned? I just want to make it clear that it's not easy, but you have to position that. It takes work to do that. It takes strategy. You have to train people, even if they're outside of your organization. So um, super important. Yeah. So one thing I do want to touch on, and I think a lot of listeners might be thinking this, which is, you know, you think of a home building, you think of a lair. These are probably super large projects, you know, in the six, seven figure range that it's, it's easier for you guys, right? As a average SMB remodeler, can these like methodologies be, I guess, adapted for the projects that I'm doing in the thousands? Like, is it even worth looking at this or is it two completely separate methodologies? I love this question. I was hoping you'd ask me something like this. So the answer simply is yes. Anyone can use these sales strategies to be more effective. Um, because they're they're fundamental concepts. Um, and as a salesperson, um, regardless of the size or opportunity or project, like anything, like in sports, you got to know the fundamentals. You know, one takeaway I'd hope everybody would get is is very much like anything you've done in your life, whether you know that's a sport or anything else. Like fundamentals are so paramount. So these things are fundamental. Your approach can be fundamental, and you can leverage it. So I mean, maybe I'll give a couple examples. Because um, yeah. that might be be helpful for those you know listening uh, as salespeople or business owners, um, they're in construction. You know, how would I leverage things that are consultative? Now, I'll share a couple, and I, I actually wrote a few down. Just so, the, but when people hear them, they might strongly disagree. Um, <laughs> which is fine, but I I stand behind these. So, a couple. Like first one is um, stop thanking people for their time. I'm all about thank yous and you're welcome and being polite, but thanking your prospective clients for their time is only hurting your credibility and status and position as an elephant, right? So stop doing that. Don't thank them for their time. Um, Let's see, always, always use an agenda. It it doesn't matter what the meeting is. Um, If you're having a meeting with prospective clients, people will respect people or lead the meeting. So bring an agenda, show the agenda, ask them, do they want anything to change the agenda? And you're immediately in charge. Don't do it, and you're likely going to be on the defense. They're leading the meeting. They're asking the questions. How much is going to cost? When it's going to be done? 
And you want to be able to create the cadence in the right environment where you're leading the process. Um, I strongly recommend everybody out there develop a script. Now, I want to be clear, not a script for the entire process if it's more than one call. And I'm sure we'll talk about one call close because I've heard some of that <laughs> are built by podcasts. Hopefully we'll get into that maybe later. But um, a script for the first couple minutes of the meeting is really important. I, I've trained a lot of people here and now in our industry. Give yourself the opportunity to start the meeting properly. Don't wing it. Work on that so you get the right positions in so you can kind of flip it around so you have leverage so people can ultimately see. If you think you're selling me, the reality is I'm not selling you as a client. You're going to have to tell me why you be the right client for me as your contractor. And if you go about it differently, man, it's going to be hard. So a script will ultimately help you. One that I'm sure people would disagree with because for 50 years, people have been trained this way for 500 years is build rapport. That's what you start in sales or build rapport. I strongly disagree now. The modern take on sales is stop focusing on building rapport. Nobody, nobody buys from you because you have things in common. They just mm -hmm. don't. You bike, I bike. You went to Cancun, we went. We both lived in Virginia, which is actually real. Matt and I did. <laughs> that doesn't mean we're going to buy from each other. So focus mm -hmm. instead of on building rapport and building respect. People will buy from experts and they'll pay more to do so. Two more, uh, just because I wrote them down. Learn the takeaway technique. I think it's self-explanatory. You have to learn how to take it away from people. And I've learned that, that most people chase what actually moves away from them. And so in the case of a takeaway, it's a powerful way to determine if your prospective client is interested or committed. When you take the opportunity off the table, you'll know. So it's it's a challenging one to learn, but you got to be willing to lose the deal and you got to be willing to take it away from them. And then you can really determine if they're the right fit and match. And then the last one I would say, and I could probably give another 20 of these on another podcast, Matt, but <laughs> don't come across as needy. And I think this is challenging for a lot of us is there's a big difference between wanting to be liked and being likable. Hmm. People usually don't buy from people that they feel need to make the sale. It's just, it's not a good feeling. And so work on being likable, but also work on not trying to be liked and be needy. So those are all fundamental concepts. I think you can use those, whether you're doing a small repair job of a fence or you're building a $20 million home. Fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, the biggest takeaway from that is it, it's like cutting out the fluff and getting straight to the point of what the actual, you know, what the homeowner wants. And while you're, you're saying these things and I can't help, but you know, think of like when I've gone to the doctor, right. I, I don't think I've ever had a doctor say, thank you at the end of the appointment yeah. or, you know, they, they, they'll casually mention something and it, it's, it is related to, you know, getting the appointment done, getting what I need and getting me out the door. Yeah. Is that pretty so much the high level of what this is? Yeah, think doctor, think lawyer, think of the experts in your life that truly all of us, everybody listening right now, we've all had trusted advisors. We have them. We probably had one this week. Whether you're at the Apple store, wherever you are, somebody was an expert at what they do. Can you imagine as a client going to your doctor and saying, now, now what's your price? Can you beat the price? Can you imagine negotiating for a price on a surgery? Like, can you imagine telling the lawyer, he's like, it's $400 an hour. But for you, I'll do it for 200 half price. Like, do you have a group on like this? <laughs> this is a mentality that we've all, you know, as as an industry, it, it's it's shaped that way. I want to say something, maybe just a little bit of a rant. You know, what's so frustrating for you or I or those listening in the industry is that's kind of how it's evolved. It's kind of how we're seen. You know, if you think about like the most valuable experts just to all human beings across every culture, like. Doctors are super important at your health. Lawyers, they get you out of trouble when you're in trouble. But think about how valuable the person that helps you live better in your home is. Think mm -hmm. of all the time you spend in your home. Think of how important that is, whether you're putting a new appliance in, making a small renovation, a major renovation, or building a new home. And, and that value has been lost. And I think as an industry, we've created that. So it's going to be up to us as an industry to untangle that. You have to find a way to become the expert, but it's a great analogy. It makes you laugh to even think about, imagine going to the doctor 
and asking him where he went to school. How many times have you done this? You might ask that, but you wouldn't be asking these questions. But yet people feel like they should be asking that to a contractor because somewhere along the way, we've lost that trust. And it would be awesome if all of us could bind together and help people remind I'm the most one of the most important people you ever come across because I'm a contractor and I can help you live you know, happier, healthier, more productive in your home, uh, whether you work with me or not. I'm the one that can help you go about that. And I hope we can all achieve that one day. It's a, it's a major uphill battle, as you would agree. We've, we have a long yeah. ways to go, but I'd love to be seen as the expert like people see our doctors. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw this video, over, I guess this past week, but there's a, the public perception of home improvement right now is, is terrible because there's a video I saw all I think it was like CNN everywhere where this remodeler went into this person's bathroom with a sledgehammer and like destroyed the work that he did. It was shoddy work in the, in the first place, but this was, this wasn't a legitimate contractor, but it's all over the place. And this is what the perception is and all the comments on it. Yeah. I've had terrible experiences. It it's an industry. Like everybody has to get on board with, okay, maybe we're doing things a little bit, like we, we we shouldn't do it this way and right. we need to change perception and it comes down to like the hiring aspect people are having trouble hiring new talent and, and finding subcontractors because people don't want to work there yeah. and it's it's a shame to to be honest that that is what the public perception is and it takes a it lot is. of things and as an industry you know hatch Alaire, all 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 of us out here we really need to find ways to collaborate we got to find ways to work together we're not going to do that by silo and being competitive. And obviously there's competition, but if the pie got bigger, if everybody could work together, which is really at the, at the, at the core of what Alaire is doing. We're taking already very successful contractors who want to bind together and use resources. It just happens to be in a franchise model, just a business structure. But at the end of the day, we could all collaborate and do things more together, whether you're part of Alaire or not. There's a lot of ways and organizational groups that can come together to change that, but it's not easy. It's we have kind of created that commodity mindset as a reputation and it's going to be difficult to change it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you mentioned one call closing and we do have to touch on this. There we go. Yeah. I, I, honestly, some part of me believes that is what's kind of contributing to this because you're treating people like you need to get the deal done if you're not going to sign it, whatever. If you're not going to sign this piece of paper that I slide across the table today, right. I'm not going to leave your house for five hours until you sign it. Like that, that's I've, I've had home improvements done and it's a terrible perception. And I, I it's like buying a car. I don't look forward to it because I feel like I'm going to have to haggle and, and all this yeah. stuff. So, yeah, it, it I will admit it does work. There's companies that get success out of it, but you know, what is your philosophy on that one call close mentality? And do you see like a way it could be shifted almost or married to that consultative approach that you have? Yeah. I mean, I I think in general, that really boils down to who you're selling and what you're selling. So I know probably a lot of listeners out there selling all kinds of different things to put into perspective. I I think the one call close can can work. I, I know it does work when the opportunity or say the size of, in this case, the project is much smaller in value right? If the risk is less. So, you know, if say you're a handyman service or, or you have a small job or a repair or a warranty or, you know, something like that, then I, then I think a one call close is likely all you need because there's, there's not a lot that can go wrong. It's, it's simple. In, in the amount of time that takes one call or one visit, we can likely do that. But if you're selling a renovation of 100,000, 300,000 or building a custom home, I, I, I can't imagine how a one call uh, approach uh, is going to work. I, I don't think that's enough time to build simply enough trust and, and enough value for them to make a decision. And if you were to try to bypass that, I think that would be reflected in your experience. You would take a client who commits to you, but it's now the wrong client. So remember, one call isn't just to close them. It's one or maybe more calls to figure out if you even want to do business with them. So this mm-hmm. is a two-sided street. You can't think of that. And that brings me to, you know, a point I want to make, uh, Matt. In, in my experience, I really been doing this 25, almost 26 years. I, I don't believe salespeople are as effective when they believe their job is to close somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even like the word. I try to remove it in training from the lexicon. Like, 
Your job is to, I'll say it very directly, your job is to not close somebody. And the moment you start thinking that, I think you're feeling like I got to arm wrestle them and I got to put the piece of paper. I got to force them to sign. I'm going to close them so I can win. Hmm. That's, I don't think that's the right mindset. I've never seen it work in all my time. And so instead, um, I want you to think that your prospective clients, they're going to need to close themselves. It needs to be their choice. It needs to be their idea. And so they want to work with you because of the information you've provided. And you want to work with them because of their values and their commitment to doing it the way you know it needs to be done. And if they're wobbling on wanting to do it your way, then they're not the right fit for the project and the right match of the values on a personality. And so I, I like the one call close. I've been on a few podcasts and other people that talk about it. I Again, for a very small thing, I think it is, but more importantly, less about the one call is the close. I think the most people that are going to be the most effective from every business and every industry is shifting that our salespeople or as an organization, we have to close somebody instead of realizing our job is to provide the right information and educate, inspire, and motivate them to make a good decision. And if they choose us, they're closing themselves. So it is a very different philosophy, um, but that's my take on one call close, but it's a fascinating subject. I, I tell you that. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I, I love that breakdown of it. And, you know, kind of marrying what you were saying earlier with this one call close. So you're a big proponent of on that first call, give them everything that they would need, give them all the information. Do you, do you ever worry about like over informing and overwhelming a homeowner uh, on those initial touches or what, what is your, what is your take there? Yeah. So the first thing is, is you've got to be able to arm yourself sales one-on-one, you got to ask the right questions, right? Mm -hmm. You got to ask questions so you can learn about their buying criteria, about their knowledge. So it starts with not asking questions that you get yes or no answers to. Ask good questions that start with how and what. So they're calibrated. You're going to get people to start to tell you how much they know or how much they don't know. You have to listen, not listen to hear their words, listen to understand how much they understand or how much they don't. Then based on how much information you have, you know how receptive they would be to learn. So I'll give you a simple example. If somebody's never renovated their home at all and they're coming to you for say a $40,000, $50,000 renovation or bigger, but they have no information, you could easily, to your point, Matt, I think you would agree with me, you could completely overwhelm them. And mm -hmm. you start talking like construction language and start measuring and the things that would go into it, you might overwhelm somebody. So yes, I think it's very possible so you have to be pay a lot of attention. You have to realize what's you know their ability to understand it. And then you have to simplify things. I love the phrase KISS, keep it stupid, simple. Mm. That's so hard to do. And mm. I don't have near the knowledge of construction that many of the listeners are, Matt. You know, I'm not gonna go on site and build the house by myself. And for those guys that are out there listening, there's tons of them probably listening right now. They have tremendous technical knowledge. I mean, they can speak a language that I can't speak for you, but I can't understand it. No, so imagine no. <laughs> that you're speaking to me that doesn't understand. You're going to have to change that language. You're going to have to simplify things. And, you know, you could use the a couple things that I've heard it say, uh, you know, a plain vanilla. Just keep it super simple, like, like a plain vanilla ice cream. We're not talking about the double barky, crunch, crispy, whatever that might be, ice cream, plain vanilla, right? Keep it simple so a fifth grader can understand it. So one thing is to have all this knowledge. And if you've been in this industry and you've been around job sites and building for 20 years, you probably have an advanced like, you know, AP college level of fluency in a language. If you don't break that down for that particular prospective client, the, you're going to overwhelm them. And instead of making them see you as an expert, you're going to make them want to run to somebody else who can provide a simple explanation. Not easy. But it yeah. is. Yeah, it, that, it's an awesome philosophy. And Adam, this has been a tremendous episode. I've only got like one more question for you. I just like to ask this to every guest. Um, super vague on purpose, but what's the number one piece of advice you would give to anyone in home improvement, home remodeling, um, any anyone in the construction industry right now? Hmm. I would say might be sound a little cliche, but I would say work on yourself, mm -hmm. you know, build, build your knowledge. 
build your skill set, particularly in sales. I mean, that's a that's a weapon. And and you know, read, train, surround yourself with people that have more experience, that have more skill. You know, go watch and listen to podcasts like this. Find experts. Get a mentor. Take your game to the next level. Um, you know. Work on your own identity, which happens, you know, the four inches between our heads and work on how you see yourself. And that's how your prospective clients are going to see you. And so work on that. Elevate yourself. And remember, you want to be seen as the elephant, not the penguin. So it's going to start in your own mind, how you see yourself. And I'm someone who reads, listens, trains all the time, something I definitely was inspired by Tony Robbins and many of the others. It's something excuse me, every day you got to work at. And if you do it, it'll actually change how you see yourself. And when you change how you see yourself, you act and sound differently. That's how you become the elephant amongst penguins. But it takes work. It's everyday thing, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. Work on yourself. I love that. Uh, man, by the way, when you inevitably do write your best-selling book, Being an Elephant Among Penguins, I think you've got your, your title. <laughs> Matt, thanks for pointing that out, man. I've enjoyed speaking with you. I'm I'm a fan of what you're doing. I love podcasts like this, and so shout out to you and Hatch and the guys that are there behind this. Our industry needs this stuff. We gotta work together and and make it better, like we've been talking about. Love it, man. And you know, if listeners want to learn more about you or Lair Homes, where should they go? Yeah, so if you want to see kind of like the projects we do around Canada and the U.S., um, go to LairHomes.com. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's A-L-A-I-R homes.com. If, if you were a contractor and you wanted to look at what the business side of Allaire is, go to discoveralaire.com. And if for some reason you wanted to reach out to me, um, I give you my email address. It's it's Adam, A-D-A-M dot M-C-C-A-A -A -A at homes.com. It looks like Maca, ironically pronounced McKay. So A-D-A-M dot M-C-C-A-A -A -A at homes.com. Awesome. Adam, again, this has been one of my favorite episodes and I appreciate you coming on and sharing these insights. I, I think this was super helpful for listeners. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. I'll be listening to other guests that you have on and uh, until the next time, bud. Awesome. Thanks, man.